Hello, sweet friend. Happy week of Thanksgiving and holidays. I know this is a very stressful time for many people due to traveling and switching up beds and being around so many people and it's just a lot of energy it's a lot going on so i am sending you so much love sending you a huge virtual squeeze and i'm so excited that you are here with me right now and before we get into what is going to be truly like such an incredible podcast episode one of my favorite yet let's take a big collective deep breath so let's breathe in to the count of four two three four hold at the top and exhale two three four five six seven eight let's do one more breathe in i'm gonna do it with you so i'm not gonna give any cues i feel like we all all could use that for sure. I'll check in with you all via Instagram as well, of course, as always. But let's get into today's episode. Before I do, as always, let's go over some exciting updates. My newest organic herbal formula will be releasing in just a few weeks. We're also running some holiday specials right now. If you purchase Soothe or Bitters, my organic herbal remedies, you will get sent directly to your email automatically a free copy of our gut health ebook it is amazing emma and i worked very hard on it um major shout out to emma it was actually her idea because she is just fascinated by all things gut health. So we we worked on it really hard to make sure that we just provide you all with the most essential, amazing information to help you optimize your guts, to really work on it over the next 30 days and beyond. So you will get that for free automatically. Otherwise, outside of that, we will be um, charging for it. We still have yet to decide how much it's really worth so um stay tuned for that but right now it's free it's free 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 so go get it while it lasts and let's talk about um hmm, what do i want to talk about oh let's do a soothe review so we have a review that just came in from sadie who said so far the product has been great i appreciate the natural approach to getting my hormones under control me and you are the same girl i you know i'm all for the natural approaches it's truly the only way that we can actually regulate our body and our systems and support them so it's a natural way or the no way and then i'll read jessica's who said literal gold i went off hormonal birth control in november 2021 and have struggled to have a normal menstrual cycle since i started taking soothe in september of this year and in just my first month i had a normal period with no pain I usually have a lot of hormonal acne as well and have had very little to no acne since taking Soothe. I feel so good in my body and have loved this first month on Soothe. I can't wait to see how I feel after a few months. Yay! Thank you so much for that amazing review, Jessica. And thank you so much for the review as well, Sadie. I love reading everyone's reviews. So if you have tried one of our herbal remedies, please write us a review or send us a message on Instagram. It just it makes us so happy. So 
Yay! Okay, today we are talking all about the hormonal IUD and about the copper IUD. So if you have not tuned into my previous episodes on all of the forms of birth control, the hormonal, the non-hormonal, the natural, the unnatural, please go check it out because you will really, really value from those episodes in conjunction with today's episode. I'm bringing on Dr. Laura Bryden, who I really just like adore and appreciate her work so much. I really view her as one of the pioneers in this space of women's health and wellness. As you all know, we are still learning so much about the female anatomy, about our second internal clock, the infradian rhythm. We're learning so much about us because we have just really been brushed underneath the rug, the, you know, entire duration of western medicine and we are just very misunderstood by western medicine so you know natural medicine has really tried to understand us for a really long time but as most of you know we have shunned natural medicine and have started calling it alternative medicine which i do not agree with calling it that and have really just you know kind of pushed us to the pushed us to the sides actually pushed us down deep deep down but we are coming back baby we are We've always been here and we are just getting our um, our power back. So it's really beautiful to see and witness and experience myself. So without um, further ado, I want to get into the episode with Laura. We talk all about the IUDs and just the pros and the cons, everything that you should know, everything that most likely you weren't told by your gynecologist or by your doctor. So we're here to support you. And for the show notes, just go ahead and um, click the link in the description of this podcast episode. You'll be directed to the piece love hormones website with these show notes with all of our blog posts and all of our show notes from previous episodes also i have lara's website lara's instagram her book the period repair manual all of those are linked up in the description and of course my instagram is linked up as well so if we're not connected please head over and connect with me i love you all so much and again i'm sending you so much love and positive happy vibes for this hectic but beautiful holiday season All right, let's get into the episode. Hi there, my name is Maddie Miles, integrative health practitioner, menstrual cycle educator, clinical herbalist, and founder of Peace Love Hormones. Our mission is to educate and empower menstruators to take back control of their menstrual health through education and through top quality herbal nutraceuticals. And welcome to our amazing podcast show, where we will uncover why your health may be struggling and how to heal your hormones and optimize the health of your entire mind and body naturally. Now let's get to it. Hi, Laura. Hi, Maddie. Welcome to the Peace Love Hormones podcast. What an honor it is to have you on. We are so excited to chat with you and just to have a talk about all things hormone health, but specifically about the IUDs. Right. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So before we get into IUDs, let's get into you. What is your story? Tell (laughs) followers just why you do what you do. I think most people probably do know you from your work and your book, The Period Repair Manual. But tell us who you are in your own words. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty passionate about women's health and periods, as you know, and hormones. Before I became a naturopathic doctor, I was actually a 
biologist, evolutionary biologist. So I do see everything kind of through the lens of biology and, you know, this is how biology works. And then I've been practicing naturopathic medicine for about 25 years. I'm Canadian, you can hear from my accent, but I live down under. So I was quite a long time in Sydney, Australia. I had a big clinic there and now I'm in New Zealand and I see patients here and I also write. I have, yeah, my book, Period Repair Manual, my second book, Hormone Repair Manual. I have a blog. So just trying to get yeah. the information out there. <laughs> and I appreciate it so much. Your blog is very informational and both books are incredible. And for anyone who likes to listen to podcasts, which I feel like most people do nowadays, <laughs> you can get it on Audible, both of your books, or at least yeah. the period repair. Okay. So both you can. The second one is nar- narrated by me, which was a little challenging, but yeah. <laughs> and also I have a podcast as well. My podcast is super, they're just like little less than 15 minutes, little explanations of things. My last one was on um, the supplement inositol, which is, if your Mm -hmm. listeners have heard of that, I decided that required an explanation that I wanted to provide to the world. Honestly, I love how yours are on the shorter side too. I feel like there are so many podcasts out there nowadays and yours is very unique in that it's like, it's straight to the point. We're going to keep this condensed, you know? Yeah. yeah, So we'll link everything up in the show notes as well. So people can easily click on them. But why I really wanted you on today. Well, number one, I've just been like, really like you've been on my like dream board. I'm like, I would love to have Laura on here and realized I was like, I've never even reached out. So how about we reach out? (laughs) So I really, I do not have a whole lot of guests on my podcast. And anyway, that being said, it really takes a lot. I really want to follow someone's work before having them on. And I feel like we are just so aligned in many ways. And I know that my following, whether they do or do not know you yet, they're meeting you now, they'll just really resonate with all that you have to offer. And I get asked really frequently many questions about the hormonal IUD and about the copper IUD. I have two episodes myself on all of you know the different options that people have when it comes to contraception, the hormonal, the non-hormonal, the more natural. My whole – my jam is uh, – <laughs> The symptothermal method, yes, which is a fertility awareness-based method. So that's what I've been doing. That's what I can really speak confidently on. I've never had an IUD myself. So I've, I've studied them, of course, and I know how they work, but I've never had one myself. I've just been with a bunch of women who have been on an IUD, who've had an IUD inserted, and everyone has different experiences. So I would love to just talk about, like, just factually speaking, you know, break down the copper IUD and the hormonal IUD. And then we yeah. do have some questions from some of my followers, some of which I, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of wondering the same thing too. <laughs> just to give people like a little sneak peek of what we'll talk about later. Someone asked like, why is it that they can stay in for years at a time? And I was like, yeah. oh, that's a really great question. So let's just get into how they work and I'll let you take the reins. I'll be over here oh, yeah. for commentary and to <laughs> sure, <laughs> just listen. Let's, let's have a conversation about IUDs. Because I'll start by saying that What's been interesting to me, I was I learned so much from my patients. I've had some young people, yeah, very unclear about what they even are, which is sort of interesting to me because I thought that would have been covered. Maybe it's different in the States, but like down here, I'm like, how did you get, how did that, how was this not explained in sex ed? Or maybe they weren't really listening to at that point or something, but young people say, oh, well, is it surgery? It's not surgery to put them in. So it's these little, they look like ear, the size of an earring. It's, they're, plastic. Uh, one is plastic with a progestin or a contraceptive drug inside that it releases. And one is essentially plastic with a copper wire <laughs> wrapped around it, essentially. 
and they're inserted in the doctor's rooms, or like in the usually in the doctor's office, they up through the cervix. And there's different methods of pain relief for that. Some doctors offer very little. Some can do like give you a, like a Valium and then a local anesthetic. Some, depending on the situation, sometimes it's done under a general. That's less common, but it, obviously it can be painful being inserted. And it's one of these things where varies quite a lot. Like some women are just, yeah, no problem. It kind of felt like a weird pep smear. And some women are like, I fainted, I vomited. It was like worse than anything I've ever imagined. And the, I think there's explanations. Like people just have different nervous systems. The cervix has three nerve supplies, which is quite unique, as including the vagus nerve. So that's why women can faint sometimes when you touch their cervix. The vagus nerve is this interesting nerve that goes straight to the brain, doesn't even go through the spinal cord. And then, of course, we've had decades of doctors really downplaying that and saying, oh, no, oh, you're imagining it. It doesn't hurt. There's like they used to say, oh, there's no nerves in the cervix. It's like, what are you talking about? So, um, yeah, that's part of it. So, I mean, there's been some awareness raising about how it, pain relief should be taken seriously when these are offered. But, okay, so back backing up there, these little earring-shaped things that the doctor puts up through the cervix and they sit inside the uterus. And they work extremely well at preventing pregnancy. I mean, that's obviously the one of their superpowers is they're they're very reliable birth control. They're not, there's no, as you know, there's no method of avoiding pregnancy that's a hundred percent. In fact, I personally have a friend who yeah, became pregnant on a copper IUD. So and had the baby, it was all fine. And I mean that it can happen. So I'm just saying there's they're as methods go, they're one of the highest ranks in terms of failure rate, but they're not perfect because nothing is. They work differently in some ways. I mean, they both sort of sit in the uterus, that which can sort of create the uterine lining doesn't really like that, so it becomes sort of inhospitable to implantation. But there's more than that. The um, so the progestin releasing one, the hormonal IUD, and that's either Marina or Kylina or different brand names, purely just depending on the a dose of the drug, basically the amount of the drug that's in it. That releases a progestin called levonorgestrel. It's not progesterone. So everyone listening, like, just to be clear, that was one of my big messages, is progestins are not progesterone. They have quite different effects in the body, including in the brain, in the breasts. And we do know that the progestin from the hormonal IUD does reach those areas. It used to be, oh, no, it's only local. It doesn't affect anything else. But it does. we know it's affecting the brain and the breasts as well, which to a lesser degree than the pill would. So it's not, you know, not to, it's not a disaster that that's happening, but that's just the reality. So the um, hormonal IUD, that progestin changes cervical fluid or dries up cervical fluid. So you know all about your fertility awareness-based methods. So if you suddenly have no fertile mucus at all, basically the sperm can't survive. And also it thins the uterine lining. The drug, the progestin thins the uterine lining. So there's nothing, it's going to obviously be very difficult to achieve pregnancy with that combination of things. So that's the main method of avoiding pregnancy is just to not let any sperm in and then not, and there's no lining to implant. And it sometimes does inadvertently also suppress ovulation, but it doesn't work. That's not its primary method of action. Like the pill, like the combined pill, its primary method of action is to suppress ovulation. The hormonal IUD can allow cycling which is a little interesting. You can still track, especially you know, after the first maybe 12 months of having it inserted when the dose of the drug is lower, some women do cycle. So you can still do fertility awareness-based method, not the mucus part, but the you can still 
you can still do BBTs. You can still see the change in, if you're ovulating. So that's quite interesting. And one of the things I say, you'd appreciate this as a fertility awareness person, obviously with the combined pill, it's a weird situation because you have these fake bleeds, which are not a cycle. So on the combined pill, you bleed, but don't cycle, which makes no sense. And like, there's no point in doing that. And on the on the hormonal IUD, weirdly, you can cycle but not bleed. It's one of the few situations, as you know, like if what if you ovulate, you are going to get a period approximately two weeks later, unless you're pregnant. For example, obviously, pregnancy would be the main reason you don't get a period. But there's other a couple other, or you have a hist- your uterus has been removed, or mm-hmm. the hormonal IUD is another situation where you can ovulate but not go on to bleed just because the uterine lining didn't grow enough to mm-hmm. shed. So. That's the hormonal IUD. And then obviously it makes periods much lighter in general, much lighter. Yeah. And I will say it's interesting. So, you know, even you just talking about all of this and I'm kind of just like thinking as you speak. So, so many women who have had the IUD inserted say that they no longer cycling. I wonder if it's because they haven't been properly educated that you may still be ovulating, but you're not bleeding. You know, and I'm sure there are, you know, I don't want to discredit, I'm sure there are many women who do have the IUD and are tracking BBT, for example, and they're seeing like, nope, I'm straight up not ovulating. That is interesting. I wonder like what the split is, right? Of like women who are like confirmed ovulating on the IUD, right? Confirmed ovulating, but they think they're not having a period and they're not ovulating because they're not bleeding. It's I'm like getting turned around in my head right now, but you get get where I'm going with this. Yeah. There are some studies, I forget what the latest stats are. Like I said, it's during, so younger women during the first 12 months after insertion, they're the ones who are more likely to have ovulation suppression. And I think in that cohort, in the first 12 months, maybe 80% of women have ovulation suppression. But then, especially older women who have a kind of a more robust cycle, they'll bounce back. And so you are exactly right. That's why I said bingo. Not seeing a bleed on the hormonal IUD, this very unique situation, doesn't mean you're not cycling. And as you know, ovulation and the fact that ovulation is how we make hormones, it's ovulation. My big thing is ovulation is good for you. It's good for us. It's beneficial for general health, not just to make a baby. So this is where actually the hormonal IUD sits a little, it's quite unique in the whole range of methods of hormonal birth control because it can weirdly, it can allow ovulation and therefore to make your own hormones, which is awesome, but not have to deal with a bleed, which is in some ways kind of the best of all worlds. Although to be fair, you know, there's pros and cons of all methods. And like I said, the progestin, the levonorgestrel does still affect the body in some ways. It's a, it's quite androgenic, which means it's very testosterone-like. So some women get breakouts, skin breakouts on it. It can mm-hmm. cause weight gain because anything that's sort of testosterone-like tends to cause weight gain in the female body. So in answer to your question, yeah, if women can't just say, oh, I'm not bleeding, therefore I'm not cycling. That's not correct. They may right. still be cycling. And it gets so confusing, I think, for many women too, especially who want to adopt the cycle syncing or cycle tracking method. And yeah. they're they're confused because they're like, well, do I have, I'm, I'm not bleeding, so I'm not really having a period. Do I go inward during this set time? Track temperatures is the only, if they're up for it, I mean, tracking temperatures, they could definitely observe a cycle yeah. that way. 
if they want yeah. to. I mean, if they are cycling. It's very yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's very, it, um, it, it works, you know, very oppositely than, than the pill, which most it of is. us are used to. And to like backtrack, you said yeah. in the beginning, like, I don't know what you're doing over there in the States for sex ed. Very little. That's yeah, right. <laughs> to answer your question. It is very little. Everything that. Like, for example, that I know I've had to go like way beyond, like out of my way to learn anything about my cycle. And I mean, you still go into your gyno's office here and the pill is still being overly pushed for anything and everything. And it's very different over here in the States. I'm not sure how it is in New Zealand. Hopefully some changes are happening. But I think I saw actually a follower had sent me an article about how, was it Australia or New Zealand where I don't know, like the title was like doctors are concerned because more and more women aren't wanting to take birth control. Is that, was that in New Zealand or in Australia? I don't know. One of my followers had sent it to me a few months ago and I was like, this is a good thing. (laughs) Well, it's funny because they say birth control, but they really mean the pill. So just as you and I know, there are other methods of avoiding pregnancy. It doesn't mean young women are not, are refusing to take anything to help them avoid pregnancy. I mean, that, Mm -hmm. that's not quite what's happening. Another thing that young people have said to me that's sort of interesting is, oh, well, yeah, condoms don't work. I'm like, they totally work. They Condoms work. Like, what the <laughs> heck? Where's that coming from? I mean, just as a little plug for condoms, I'm a pretty big fan. You know, I think, I know this isn't a podcast about condoms, but like the main thing is get a good quality one, one that fits the man properly. My goodness, that is like yeah. key for yeah. no slipping or like, because penises come in different sizes. Yeah. And then non-toxic. Yes, non-spermicide so that you don't get Mm -hmm. UTIs from it. And then I think access, easy access to plan B or the morning after pill in the unlikely event and if of a condom failure. And and if you're also tracking and if you know you're like, oh darn, yeah, the condom broke during my fertile window, you have that information. Uh, my feeling is women should have over-the-counter easy access to plan B in that situation. And it, it just works by Prevent, suppressing ovulation, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you if, if you ever have even, you know, in the unlikely event of a condom breakage or failure or slippage, that might happen like once every three years or something. That's, in my view, taking the contraceptive drug one time to prevent ovulation in one cycle is better than having to take it every Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And uh, at the end of the day, when we're doing that, right, like when we're using a barrier method, when we're in yeah. a fertile window, we're cycle tracking, yeah. um, we have that that plan B whenever is needed. Um, yeah. You know, like you said, hopefully it's, you know, perhaps even never, but like every once every few years. Yeah. So, you know, that is like to me personally, gives me so much more comfort and yes. the sense of like, oh, I am so in control over my fertility. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you said that you, you've you known a couple people who have gotten pregnant on the IUD. My yeah. mom was on hormonal birth control when she had both of my older siblings. And so yeah. she, and she was on the pill. And so yeah. at that point she was like, all right, I'm done. Like clearly right. this, is, this <laughs> isn't working works. for me. I'm very fertile. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I mean, nothing is 100% effective um, no. aside from just not having, you know, penetrative intercourse. That's the only reason. Yeah. (laughs) And that's not what everyone wants to. Yeah. Fair enough. So yeah. Okay. So great. So then the copper IUD, we'll just finish kind of the explanation. Its main mechanisms is the copper ions are not friendly to sperm. So I think there is like a spermicidal effect from it Mm -hmm. essentially. And then also the fact that it makes it difficult. The uterine lining is not very receptive to implantation when, when it's dealing with the copper IUD sitting in there. So 
Yeah, that's essentially how it works. On the obviously on the copper IUD, hormones are unaffected, like you cycle normally. Periods are generally heavier, probably just from the little bit of kind of low grade inflammation that's set up in the uterine lining from the copper IUD. They 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 say they're like thirty to fifty percent heavier. So whatever your period, whatever your period's like, maybe a third that again, especially in the first year after insertion. I mean, sometimes I'm like, wow, the copper ID feels a little barbaric in some ways. But I mean, I say that where it's obviously there's pros and cons, but it's a popular method and even a lot of naturopathic doctors choose it. So for whatever that's worth, you know, that's a fact. It's it, big picture. I think it's still better than shutting down your hormonal system with mm-hmm. the combined pill, like from a health perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It goes in like, I feel like the most impactful being the pill in terms of, you know, total body, mind system. And you slowly move down the line, you know, whereas like the other end of the extreme, so to say, I don't want to make it sound extreme, but it's like the 100% like, you know, no hormones, no copper IUD. You're just tracking your cycle and really trying to get to know to know your body, to know your cycle. And I think what's notable too, I'd love for you to touch on this is, you know, so a big reason, I'll just speak on my personal experience, why I did not choose the IUD either form when stopping the pill was the idea of having a foreign object in my uterus and having it be plastic too. So you know, I, I feel like too, I mean, it's a trend now, but also like for some of us, it's just how we were kind of raised as well as like, you know, let's not cook things in plastic. Let's use a lot of glass. You know, that's, I was raised more so like from like an environmental standpoint of like use less plastic. And then as I got older, it's like, oh, it's actually really, it's better for our hormones. It's better for our health to, you know, stay away from the plastics, up for more glass. Like our entire pantry is just reuse our, yeah, reuse leftover glass bottles and mason jars. You know, for me, at, you know, at that point, which was years ago at this point when I was offered that by my gyno, it just made, it made me super uncomfortable even just the idea of having a plastic object in my sacred yeah. area. So I would love for yeah. you to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot to say, but I mean, I doubt, hard to know how much exposure there would be to some of the plastic, the compounds, like if there's, like I'm just not really, really sure kind of what's, if there's phthalates or, you know, what amount of that would be coming off that? I'm, I'm not sure. It's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure how much women would actually be exposed to, certainly compared to like probably big picture, the amount that's, you know, plastic residue that's in food and various right. other things. It's probably quite small. Like so many things we just don't really know. One of the things that makes me most uneasy, a couple of the other things about the IED. So, I mean, I'll just say, like, we can put the sh- links in the show notes. I have a couple of blog posts called the pros and cons of the copper IUD, the pros and cons of the hormonal IUD, where I try to talk through all the different Pros and cons, obviously. It's big picture. I think they're reasonable options for women. A lot of my patients use both methods. So I'm not anti them, but I might just, because your listeners might be interested into a couple of things that I am sort of have thoughts about as a biologist more than anything. Just Absolutely. Yeah. So one is that there has been an observed side effect from both types of IUD, which is super interesting, of some women get anxiety. Now, no one knows exactly why. There's speculations. Is it the copper, you know, affect, affecting leaking into the body? I mean, I think we do are exposed to a little bit of copper from it. I mean, copper is not 
toxic exactly, although having too much is not a good idea. But I mean, there's copper in food as well, just to put it in context. So the hormonal IUD, you think, well, it's probably the contraceptive drug. The levonorgestrel is known to affect mood negatively. So there's that. But then also for me, I just keep coming back to the vagus nerve. So the cervix is very interesting part of the body, super interesting. It's got a lot going on. Like I said, it's got these three totally separate nerve supplies, including the vagus nerve. I don't know if you've ever talked about the vagus on your podcast mm-hmm. before, if yeah. you have another maybe episode you can link to. But yes, I'll link to it. But yeah, it's we my focus with that episode was more so just overall healing, but especially with the digestive system. Right. So it affects digestion. Yeah, it affects a lot of things. And it definitely affects mood. So this and this is now I must full disclosure, this is not coming out of the science. I wish it was. There isn't any science on this, but just through my purely my biologist lens. And I just think there could be something, the vagus nerve might not love having a little structure, like bump into the cervix all the time. You know what I mean? Like I sort of, or have a string going through the cervix. Like it's just like, it could be that for some women, their nervous system registers the presence of, as you say, like a foreign body, not so much that it's plastic, but just that it's hard and structure that's yeah, like your your cervix and your vagus nerve and your body's kind of, your nervous system's kind of going, what is happening? <laughs> what the heck is this? <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, that's purely speculative, but it partly to me explains why some women just, they just get really strong anxiety and then it's instantly resolves when they pull it out. Now, mm-hmm. not everyone gets that. Some women are totally fine. So I don't want everyone thinking, you know, therefore that's always going to be the case. I, I want to try to give somewhat of a balanced view on this. But the other thing that through my lens as a biologist, I'm a little concerned about is the way IUDs change the microbiome of both the vagina and the uterus. So, you know, your listeners want to know what microbiome is. Like there's a microbiome in the gut. That's the Mm -hmm. population of bacteria. There's a microbiome in the vagina. That's very well known. Mm -hmm. Our vaginal microbiome is hugely important actually. And then there's actually also a microbiome in the uterus. And actually the well, this is one of the things that gives me pause the the uterine and the vaginal microbiome are not necessarily supposed to be that it's supposed to be kind of one way like the you know the flow the obviously mm-hmm. the blood and the cervical fluid and everything going out into the vagina and that and then that microbiome kind of dealing with okay we've got this other microbes coming from the uterine but uterus but with the situation of having like a string connecting your vagina to your uterus, there's like another direction, right? Like mm-hmm. bacteria do colonize, not in a, not as like, oh, you have an infection kind of way, but just there's a different, now there's bacteria kind of essentially growing on the IUD. And um, yeah, when they invented the IUD, they didn't even know about the uterine microbiome. Like that wasn't a mm-hmm. thing. Like they weren't, when they sat down to design this, they didn't think, oh, how's that going to affect the you know, uterine and vaginal microbiome. I think they they had no idea about that. And so this is like a lot of things in health and in women's health, we're we're playing catch up later going, oh, Mm -hmm. wow, what does that mean if we shut down ovarian function with the pill? What does that mean to the, in this case, you know, microbiome, if we put that structure there? And we do know that women with hormonal IUDs have an increased likelihood of, um, sorry, with either kind of IUD, I'm not sure what I said, but women with IUDs, both copper, and hormonal, just my understanding, have an increased risk of what's called BV or bacterial vaginosis, which is just, um, it's like a disruption to the ecosystem of the vaginal microbiome. Mm-hmm. And it's not, an inf- like, again, it's not an infection, although they sometimes do treat it with antibiotics, but it causes 
kind of liquidy, bad smelling discharge and it's not good. Like it's not a good idea to have that ongoing. So yeah, that's just some of my thoughts about where, I don't know where that's going to go in future. I'd love for scientists to look into that a bit more. Maybe, yes, maybe we got to start looking into ourselves. I think what I want to like remind everyone too is that you know, a lot of these, like all of these forms of contraceptive are very, they're in their infancy compared to just tracking our cycles, you know, like that has been around since, you know, we have better methods for it now, especially with our, our BBT trackers and, you know, we're, yeah. we have more advanced technology when it comes to that um, versus just, you know, kind of looking up at the moon and seeing like, where's the moon at? You know, here's my cycle, which some of us are linked to the moon, which is, which is beautiful as well. But anyway, that to be said, you know, the, the pill, the IUD, these forms, they are still new, you know, in my mind, they're very, very new. And we are still discovering and learning so much about female anatomy, about our cycles, about hormones from like the science lens. And so to just be okay and, you know, at least maybe you're not like happy about it, but to acknowledge and be okay with the fact that a lot of this stuff, we are like still testing it out, right? So to just know that like we don't have all the answers either. No. Definitely. That's true yeah. for a lot of medicine, but it's definitely true. And it, it's, it's, we have a sharp memory too. So we think, oh, the, we've always had the pill. No, we haven't actually. It's only been like essentially three generations, maybe three or yeah. four, depending on the size of the generation. But yeah, for young people, they're like, oh, well, that's just always been around. But it's, yeah, it's within living memory of some people. They can remember a time before the pill yeah. was invented. So Totally. Yeah. And were you in, If correct me if I'm wrong, but you were in the um, business of birth control documentary? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was at the premiere in Austin. Um, and yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen that yet, please go see it. I actually have a podcast episode with a few of the, the people on behind the scenes team of that documentary. Um, but yeah, just, you know, that was a, a kind of slap in the face reminder of like, no, this is, it's very new, right? The pill and have had some serious side effects and consequences for many users and their families that have just kind of been brushed under the rug, right? Like you have to really dig deep to, to hear about these stories. Well, and with the story with the pill, I mean, just broad strokes, there's always been this, um, I don't know what phrase to use, but just not believing women. Like, you know, it was invented and then women are going, actually, I think it's causing uterine cancer, like women or causing strokes and uterine mm-hmm. cancer. Those were like kind of the first couple things, the strokes. And then they're like, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, actually, yeah. Oh, actually, sorry. Yeah, it is. So therefore, you know, we'll make these adjustments and now it's all going to be fine. And then we've got, you know, decades of women going, it affects my mood. Like it caused depression. They're like, no, 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 that's completely, there's no mechanism by which it would do that. That's completely wrong. And then then it's like, finally in, you know, the last 10 years or so it's been, oh, actually, yeah, it does affect mood. And oh, actually, it actually changes the shape of women's brains. And if you take the pill when you're young, like a young teenager, then you, even after you stop the pill, you go on to have a three times higher risk of depression. It's like, oh yeah, that's actually a thing. It's like, wow. Like, the, you know, the, so the women back in the seventies going, it affects our mood. And they were being told, no, you're just like imagining things. This is like the story of, yeah, the pill, unfortunately. Right. In your eyes, do you feel like you've seen improvement in terms of women empowerment? Um, perhaps even the like feminist movement of, you know, we want options, of course, but we also want everything to be laid out on the table, right? So when we're going into the doctor's office or into our gynecologist's office, that we're told 
these side effects for the pill and that we are given other options as well. Do you see any improvement in like that? I think there is a shift away from the pill to the hormonal IUD, which is good that we're doing this episode because I'd say the young young people are, I think it's less and less common to be on the combined pill or the patch or the neighboring. It still, still happens, but it's kind of shifted to the hormonal IUD. And I do get, I don't know, it depends on the doctor. I think genuinely for some of them through their lens, they genuinely can't understand why women would say no to the hormonal IUD. They're like, they're just like through that. They're like, what, why? Like, you know, it, it's going to like be so effective at preventing pregnancy. It's going to make your period go away. Like they just, they're like, it reduces your risk of, you know, uterine cancer. They're just like, I don't get it. Like why on earth would you not take it? Like that's really their perspective. So I think that's still happening. And I honestly, you know, I just think they don't, well, I just don't think they don't have all the information. Obviously they don't think about it through the lens yeah, I mean, the fact that, well, in terms of the combined pill, they don't think about the fact that suppressing ovulation can have a cost well and beyond just mm-hmm. the fact that you don't fall, you don't become pregnant. Well, I was on the combined pill for six years. And so to hear you say, you know, that you hope and kind of assume that more and more doctors are moving away from, hopefully at least moving away from prescribing that. I'm like, yes, I'm so on board with that because that was really, really detrimental to my overall health. And in many ways, I'm still having to work at recovering from it, to be completely honest, you know? So it it really does, it wreaks a lot of damage on our entire ecosystem. So I too hope that People are moving away from that one. Heck, who even knows? Perhaps listening to our podcast. Yeah, we need some, just big picture, we need some more methods. I'm also a huge fan of fertility awareness-based methods. So if if that works for people, that's great. We have the combination with condoms and plan B, like we talked about earlier. But also, I just, I think there are some new male methods coming at some point soon. I keep thinking they're about to be released and then they're still undergoing clinical trials. And yeah, I mean, I just, I think there's, there's some, there's better options on the horizon. We just need to catch up. And I think the era of contraceptive drugs will come to an end and we'll figure out ways to avoid pregnancy without having to shut everything down in terms of women's hormonal systems. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Okay. So let's get into some of these questions from people, okay. if that's okay with you. Okay. Yeah. So Number one, why is it that an IUD can stay in for years at a time? That's the copper IUD. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I was curious, just thinking about that, actually, what the how they decide how long it can last. I mean, at some point, I think the idea is it will just need replacing because it, it might be starting to, you know, the material maybe not going to hold out longer than that. Mm-hmm. Or that, well, there is this whole issue about it gets a biofilm of bacteria on it potentially. But yeah, the copper IUD doesn't, like there's no, it doesn't like run out of action or anything like that. Like the copper is just going to sit there releasing tiny amounts of copper ions and the structure of the IUD is not going to change. So that's why some of them are 10 years. The hormonal IUD has a lifespan that is how much hormone it has in it. So it's going to release a certain amount that's going to take between three to five years, depending on the type. And then yeah, you have to replace because once the contraceptive drug is gone, then its effectiveness will, yeah, be gone. So that's yeah. It is is yeah. I think why that that question was interesting to me is because I was like, yeah. yeah, that is a really long yeah. time. You know, ten years um, is a long time. Yeah, 
It's incredibly long. Yeah. And I mean, I know that like you were saying before, we don't have a whole lot of science to really back this up. But I mean, I'm thinking constantly all the time about, I mean, anything pertaining to contraception and women's health and hormone health. And so whenever I think about these, I actually do, just because our hormones come in parts per billion, I am one of those people that I also, you know, everyone is different, bioindividuality. I am someone double MTHFR genetic mutation, it's harder for me to detox. So I wonder too, if people with that genetic mutation, something that impairs them from being able to detox, they would have perhaps a worse experience on the IUD and having that plastic for an object. I mean, I don't certainly say there's no science to back up that. I think some of it's to do with that vagus nerve and the mm-hmm. cervix, like I talked about. Some people might be more sensitive to copper entering the system than others. Although, like I said, it's a really tiny amount. And yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just not sure. Certainly the hormonal one. Yes. Yeah, some people are more sensitive to contraceptive yeah. drugs to leave in general than others for sure. Well, yeah. we'll just have to keep in touch throughout the next few years yeah. as more stuff yeah. is coming out about it and be like, oh, you were right. <laughs> Number two, someone asked, do they regulate hormones? Um, so a lot of these were just, you know, and I think this goes to show too the little information that many women, at least in the U.S., have on the IUDs is that a lot of these questions are just about the IUD in general um, right. instead of specifying, you know, does the hormonal IUD right. regulate hormones or just the copper one? So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So copper, obviously, the copper IUD doesn't affect hormones at all. The yeah, regulate hormones. This is an interesting one because as you know, the pill is prescribed to regulate hormones. It 100% can't do that. It just switches ovarian function off and flatlines hormones to menopausal levels and replaces them with contraceptive drugs. I have to get that statement in. The mm-hmm. hormonal oh, it, it So it's releasing a drug called levonorgestrel. Now, as I said, it's not progesterone. It... It depends what you mean. It doesn't regulate hormones. It can suppress ovulation, as we've talked about. And sometimes suppressing ovulation can feel good to people. If they've been having symptoms with ovulation, that can feel, oh, actually, that helped me. That might feel like some sort of regulation, but it's actually just that ovulation has been switched off. It can obviously lighten, it lightens periods. I mean, that's just a fact. So that is not exactly anything to do with regulating hormones. It's just a local thinning of the uterine lining that reduces flow. It can also improve pain, again, because I think it's just thinning the uterine lining, sort of down-regulating things a bit in the uterus. So none of that regulates hormones. Um, Just to say, if women are getting symptoms from like big estrogen spikes and migraines and stuff, if if it suppresses ovulation, it's going to slow that down. It's going to slow down the release of estrogen. So that's not exactly regulation, but it can affect hormones, yeah. Right, yeah. And, you know, where I think you may agree with me on this one is too, is like, you know, the estrogen problems and the ovulation pain is not due to an IUD deficiency. So, you know, addressing like, why is that happening, right? Um, Yeah, you know, for some who do suffer from that, perhaps an IUD may support that. But you know, just, yeah, figuring out like, what is the root cause of that? Let's, let's address the root well, cause of that. <laughs> I'm a big fan of using the right word for thing, words for things. So all types of contraceptive drugs can relieve symptoms. Relieving symptoms is very different than regulating hormones. Like the normal hormonal situation is to have 
regular ovulation and a big spike of estrogen and then progesterone coming in and then both estrogen and progesterone going away at the end of the cycle. And that's quite a big up and down of hormones. And if people are getting symptoms from that, that's often because of actually other underlying kind of health issues that make people more sensitive to the ups and downs of the hormones. It's not the hormones fault themselves. That's kind of the way yeah. I describe it in period of perimenopause. Yeah. You want to become resilient to your own hormones. You want to be sort of healthy in lots of other ways so that when estrogen and progesterone go up and down, your body's like, oh, great. That feels good. That's no problem. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because they are supposed to go up and down, right? They we do just go like, up yeah, and down. Yeah. We want them to. <laughs> That's um, how it works. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Number three, can the copper IUD cause heavy metal issues even after having it removed? Yes. No. Sorry. Okay. No, I mean it's not a heavy it's not a heavy metal like you know mercury or lead or something like that. It's no. Uh no. It it is it's like I said a few some copper ions will enter the body. But as to what the significance of that um, and copper is going to be cleared. Like we're like there's copper in food just to be clear. So we are constantly kind of and copper is a nutrient. So yeah. I mean not that <laughs> that you want to use an IUD for that purpose, but like I'm just saying <laughs> Copper is not a poison or anything. Like it's yes. a normal mineral that we have. It's in balance with zinc. So it's quite a bit of discussion around like you want to have, you know, enough zinc to sort of counterbalance copper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So an insert, no, it doesn't cause heavy metal toxicity. Heavy metal refers to mercury, lead, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. Okay. Number yeah. four, yeah. someone asked for the side effects after removing an IUD. I mean, we talked about this earlier. It's really just supporting your gut microbiome, your vaginal microbiome, your uterine microbiome. Things should just feel good. I mean, so removing the copper IUD should be a nothing event. Like your period will probably get lighter, but you've been cycling anyway. So there should be no changes having the copper IUD come out. Having the hormonal IUD come out your periods will get heavier and you could start ovulating again if it had been suppressing your ovulation. So if starting to ovulate again causes symptoms, then that's not exactly a side effect of having the IUD out, if you know what I mean. Like it's just removing something that was suppressing and masking the situation and then removing that and then you see what's underneath it, what's actually your body is actually doing. Yeah. Be the way to describe it. Yeah. We'll have these all written down to like it's like rapid fire. Yeah. So yeah. we'll have this yeah, it's all, all good. In, the, you know, it's good. in the show and notes as well. They're interesting questions to me too, because I, I do get a lot like I learn a lot from the questions I get from my followers and my patients and just to try to understand, yeah, kind of where the gaps are, what people, as you say, what they didn't learn in sex ed. Um, yeah. Not, so, yeah, yeah, not a lot over here. Yeah, and you know they're genuine, like real, raw questions as yeah, well. Yeah, I love you know, them. I, I always love posting on my stories before a podcast because you know the way that we would structure our own podcast without like input from other people is very yeah. different than with yeah. their input. So I really appreciate nice. everyone's questions. Yeah, I, li- I like listener questions too. Yeah. The next right, one. Next. 
I switched from the hormonal to the copper IUD and I have been experiencing a lot of anxiety. So this one is more of like a statement, but perhaps she was looking for some understanding as to why that would yeah. be. But we talked about that. But it's interesting because you were saying, you know, your hypothesis, which I'm so on board with, I yeah. you know, firmly believe that. Yeah. You know, the vagus nerve, the more that I learn about it, I'm just like yeah. literally mind blown. And um, but that would be with both IUDs. Yes, because, exactly. You know, that would be both. I think one ex- possible explanation, again, it's hard to say what's going on with that individual, but as we said, the in some people, women, the hormonal IUD suppresses ovulation. So it could, again, be that unmasking like that, removing the, the breaks on ovulation, and now cycles are starting up. And some of that could be like you know, the kind of histamine anxiety reaction women can get around ovulation and then premenstrual and that's Mm -hmm. all kicking back in if it had been suppressed for a while. That would be a one possibility. possibility. But you see, do you not agree with the the belief that the copper can cause the anxiety, like copper toxicity? I just don't know. I I mean, I don't want to, I certainly don't totally dispute that. I just I just don't think it's enough copper to actually do that. But I mean, I could be wrong about that. But um, I know that's the common explanation that's given and probably some of your listeners are like screaming into their earbuds. Right now. <laughs> so um, it, it's possible. It's possible. Like there is one in my book, I do quote one study, like one is almost no studies at all, but one study where they found that women with a copper IUD do have higher serum levels of copper than women without. So there is some copper entering the system. I just, and maybe some people are more sensitive to it, as you say, like yeah. maybe that's just for whatever combination of reasons. It could be partly the copper. I'm just not sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and it's, I, you know, I'm so like, I admire people, especially myself when we just admit like, we just don't know and we that's totally okay. Know. We cannot know everything in this world, yeah. especially like no one really knows. It's like the wild west with the IUD. So we're still it trying is. to figure it out. I think what's most important is that we just acknowledge, okay, women are feeling this way. Do we know exactly why? No, but a lot of people are reporting anxiety from it. So like, let's just take note of that, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So um. The next one, we answered this earlier, but is the effect local or systemic for both IUDs? Yeah, no, I, I hear the question. So, so with the um, so with the hormonal IUD, and again, there's another example of, and it's not just your, you know, not just your followers who are doing this, but like you see it in the like science as well, and the journalists like lumping the two IUDs together and kind of trying to make statements about how they both work, and they actually, as we've explained, like they have quite different effects. So. The con- the contraceptive drug that's coming out of the hormonal IUD is not just local, unfortunately. Like they've done when that really came out, like we know it affects mood, which may or may not be from the drug, but I think it probably is. And we know that we know now. Last year there was a study where they did um, breast imaging of women who are on the hormonal IUD versus women who are not taking any contraceptive drugs and they saw changes in the breast tissue. So the levonorgestrel is reaching the breasts. Um, as to what that means, it's you know hard to know, but it's not entirely local. A lot of it is local, certainly compared to the pill. And then in terms of the copper IUD, is that local? I mean, it's local, but it may be causing anxiety other 
via like something vagus nerve or maybe copper yeah so that, that's not exactly local yeah. obviously i'll have yeah. to link up that study i remember i shared that on my story or all about the breasts my, yes, yes yes and that caused a lot of rumble no one was upset with me if, you know i didn't know other than share but there would rumble as in they're like please make an episode about this because we just want to learn more i feel like i i know more women now than not who are on the iud um versus on the pill so again it's like you're like moving down the bracket right um yeah but you know what i think is very promising and i'm very excited to you know, release this episode and let everyone know you can still track your cycle. And I think that's a good way. It's almost like a bridge um, from like the pill to just, you know, full on tracking your cycle and using condoms. Like let's, um, let's be on an IUD or perhaps you already have the IUD inserted, but let's start getting uh, comfortable with tracking our BBT, with tracking, you can't track your cervical mucus, mucus but um you know let's just try and track everything else which also side note i just want to mention i would be remiss if i didn't i've mentioned yeah. this so many times before on podcast episodes yeah. but you know the way in which um you know the, the hormonal iud works and you know drying up that cervical mucus if people just think because i know a lot of you know, there's a lot of hate, especially from doctors and gynecologists on tracking your cycle and tracking your... There shouldn't shouldn't be, by the way, but anyway. Yeah, 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 there is, unfortunately. Um, But it's like, you know, one of the ways in which they're, you know, that hormonal contraception in this case is preventing pregnancy is by altering cervical mucus. That's how powerful it is and how key it is when it comes to conception or not. And so, you know, just to like, I don't know, I want to plant that seed in everyone's head of like, it is very powerful. So it is, um, you know, that being said, when you are tracking your cycle, it's not woo-woo, right? To be like, oh, I'm like tracking the fluid that's coming out today and this can help me understand where I'm at in my cycle. It's not woo-woo. It's, you know. It's 100% not woo-woo. Yeah. It's science-based. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. It's, it's a, a thing. biological reality. Mm-hmm. It's what our body does. It's very cool that the female body has these observable signs yes. that we can, men would only be so lucky just to have such a like cool window into health the way we do with tracking our cycle. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. Okay. So the last two. Well, yes. Yeah. Okay. So the last two, um, copper and endometriosis, bad idea, question mark. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. No, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the official word is and what the science is on copper IUD with endo. I mean, I, okay. For, for one thing, I don't know if it would cause endo. I don't know if that's the question, but like for someone who ha- actively has mm-hmm. endometriosis, I personally don't love the idea of a copper IUD in that situation. They probably wouldn't want to anyway because there's like pain, already pain and bleeding. So mm-hmm. it's probably off the table. Anyway, maybe the copper, I'm not sure what the copper would do in that situation. I think um, I'd be more worried about the microbiome side of things because my mm-hmm. big thing, but I have a podcast on endometriosis. It's a lot about, it sounds weird, but bacteria yeah. in the peritoneal cavity either coming from the gut or out from the uterus, like vagina, potentially in uterus, inflaming, like adding to this sort of inflammatory picture in the pelvis. So yeah, I guess the short answer is I'm not sure how copper would tie into that at all, but I don't, I wouldn't want a patient of mine with, and with active endometriosis to be on a copper IUD, I think. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. But maybe, maybe some yeah. people are and they can chime into the comments and yeah. tell us. Or, yeah. <laughs> yes. Please do. Let us know if you are successfully, yeah, yeah, yeah. endometriosis and the cup right. Um, yeah. The last one for my followers, and then I have a question for you. Um, okay. Someone wants to know how to track their cycle, even though it's very irregular with the IUD. Again, no specification on if this is the hormonal IUD or the copper IUD. Um, yeah. If well, it's again, if it's, if it's the copper IUD, the copper IUD is not part of that question. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if their cycle is yeah. irregular, it's irregular. It's not because of the copper IUD. Right. But if they're not, if the hormonal IUD is suppressing ovulation, then, or delaying ovulation, I mean, it could be impact. I mean, how do you, what's well, like anything with fertility awareness method, you can still track. You just, mm-hmm. you just understand that ovulation is coming later and you just need to watch for it. I mean, the difference is obviously with the hormonal IUD, there won't, as we've said a few times, there won't be cervical fluid or cervical mucus to observe. Mm-hmm. So you're missing one of the signs, but you can still do temperatures. And just to be clear, I'm sure your listeners know because you're a fertility awareness-based person, but the if you have a cycle like a, with no temperature rise, even if you get a period, you didn't ovulate. That's mm-hmm. an anovulatory cycle. Those are quite common. So yeah. that's, yeah. Like, does that answer the question? Yeah. How do yes, you track yes. if you're irregular? I mean, it's the same as if you, yeah. How do you track if you're irregular in any situation? You just yeah. do it. Still just <laughs> tracking the signs. Yeah. Tracking BBT. Um, yeah. And I love the daisy and the temp dropper. My two favorites. Yeah. Nice. Um, oh, that's but, nice to have you. I like, I like daisy too. So yeah. A plug for yeah, Daisy. Yeah. Um, so, okay. But another connection I just made is, so going back to the vagus nerve and how important that is. And we're still learning more about it yeah. and how much that impacts our nervous system as well. And when that's dysregulated, you know, a whole cascade of negative uh, health effects can happen. One of which in my mind, couldn't that be a cessation of ovulation? You know? Yes. 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 (laughs) So I'm like, let's run in circles more. I like (laughs) the way your brain works. I mean, potentially, I mean, I've just been saying multiple times the copper IUD doesn't directly affect ovulation or hormones. It shouldn't. But I mean, could there be some indirect effects via anxiety? And then, yeah. I mean, as you know, mm-hmm. anything, everything can affect ovulation ultimately. Yeah. So yes. I mean, that's going to be harder to kind of tease apart in the science or anything, but, but theoretically. I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way I'm your brain gonna, works. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just yeah. going to make the scientists run around in circles. Is there a place where <laughs> yeah. I can submit all my questions? They're not, gonna study, they're, they're not going to study that. I think <laughs> I, my, the chances of anyone, any scientist studying I, anxiety from the copper IUD, I think is zero. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, I, yes. maybe I'm just, I'm, I just, well, for, they just don't have time. Like they're just, they're trying to get some of the, the most basic things, you know, to be understood. So there's lots of these gaps that are probably never going to be understood, unfortunately. Yep. Unfortunately. Um, okay, Laura, my last question for you. What is your favorite way to take care of your hormone health slash overall health? Because we know that hormones are really just the messengers. So what is like your favorite way to just take care of your whole ecosystem? Yeah. That was a good question. I get that question a lot. Um, feel good. <laughs> I guess that's what I would say. Like, feel good. <laughs> Whatever it is, because there's all different ways to not feel good. Like, you could be under eating. You could mm-hmm. be binge eating. Just to get an example of two different things. You know, you could be, you know, stressed. You could be working night shift. You could be, like, on a medication that's interfering with your hormones. So, the the goal for hormone balance is ovula- regular ovulation. 
And as I've, there are lots of ways to lose ovulation. So it does require taking a minute to think, what do I need? You know, what is it that I need? What, and yeah. And you need to feel good. And I guess if my favorite feel good thing might be magnesium, which I do yeah. often like to mention because it's just so soothing <laughs> and calming mm-hmm. and helps premenstrual mood and makes everyone sleep and feel better. Yes. Yeah. 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 I love magnesium as well. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much yeah. for joining me. I hope that everyone here thought this was a very informative episode. We are going yeah. to have the show notes written out as well too, because if anyone's awesome. like me and prefers to read things, I always have yeah. that option. Um, but thank you so, so much. Please let people know where they can find you, what your prefer, because we'll have everything linked up. But yeah, like, yeah. How do you prefer people read? reach out to you, Lara? Good question. I mean, I have a forum actually too, which I don't answer every question on there, but I try to drop in and answer questions. And if you just, I'm just putting it out. If, it, if you as another practitioner wanted to, to chime into the forum and answer some questions there, please do. You can put in your signature, like a link to your site. So yeah, where do people can reach me? The best thing is to start with my books, book probably for your audience, period of repair manual because that will give you a lot of the information. And then you can find me on social media at Lara Bryden. I've got a podcast, Lara Bryden podcast. Yeah. Um, pretty easy to yeah. find. Yeah. Awesome. She's the bomb.com. Everyone, please go check her out. We'll link everything yes. up. And until next time, perhaps we'll have you on again because this was just so awesome. Um, until next time, peace, love hormones. Hi, lovebugs. Thank you so much with all of my heart for tuning in to another Peace Love Hormones podcast episode. If you feel inclined to do so, please give us a rating and even leave a comment review would be so helpful or sharing on Instagram or sending me a message, any of the above. I love it all and appreciate every single one of you. And don't forget to use code podcast, all lowercase podcast on your order of Soothe or any of the items available for purchase on the Peace Love Hormones website. And also don't forget to sign up for text and email reminders. Much love, Maddie.